So has anyone ever fallen for a gimmick before? You know, like those catchy jingles or phrases that companies come up with uh, to get stuck in your head forever? Uh, you know, most of the time, you don't even like, have to be intentionally watching a commercial, but for some reason, it just gets implanted in your mind, and then one day, you wake up singing it, and you're like, what is going on? I want to try something this morning. I want to test your knowledge of some of these slogans and jingles um, to see how well you know these. And so um, we'll start off nice and easy, okay? Just a real simple one, okay? So let's see if you can finish this. Give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Yeah, good job, good job, that was good. Okay, here's number two. Like a good neighbor. Yes. I wish I could just like have someone pop up beside me after saying that, you know, like in the commercials, but um, maybe a little bit harder for some. Silly rabbit. Good job. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Um, another classic, classic, a good one. What would you do? Yes. There we go. Klondike bars. I, ironically, I'm not a big fan of Klondike bars, actually, but... Um, this one's more regional than national, um, and it doesn't have the business's name in it, but let's see if you can finish it. Where there's a helpful smile. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I have two more, and I'm just going to say the business, and then you have to say what their slogan or whatever it is that comes after. They're pretty easy, so I think you'll get them since you've done so good so far. So here's the first one. Ready? Subway. Eat fresh. Eat fresh. That's right. I don't know if it's always fresh, but that's what they say. <laughs> and then here's the last one, one of my favorite places to eat, Red Robin. Yum. That's right. Absolutely. So these slogans and jingles, uh, they're tactics that businesses use to help us remember who they are, and the whole point is to get us through their doors, right? The whole point is to get, do, do something to get us to come through the doors of their business, some other tactics businesses might use are special sales, customer testimonials, celebrity endorsements, um, or if you're a car dealership, uh, you have one of those guys that like, you know, he's like the inflatable guys outside, he's like flailing everywhere. Yeah. The, the issue with gimmicks is most of the time um, they're misleading to what you'll actually find when you get to the place. Right? Who's ever seen a food commercial? You're like sitting there watching TV at night and a food commercial comes on and it's some delicious burger and you're like, that looks amazing. And then you go there and you order it and the burger that's supposed to be like six inches tall as it was in the commercial is like this big and does not taste how it looks. Um, but um, today what I want to talk about is how as Christians... It can be tempting to use gimmicks in our evangelism to get people through the doors of the church. That at times it can be tempting to use gimmicks to get people into the church. So when I was just an intern at a church in Council Bluffs, I was having a conversation with the youth pastor I was interning under. Um, and I asked him a question. I said, "Why? You know, we rarely ever played games on Wednesdays. Um, on, specifically on Wednesday, there's other things that we did where we played games, but on Wednesday nights, we rarely ever played games. And so uh, he had been in youth ministry for over 30 years, and he, here's what he told me that he had learned. What you win them with 
is what you win them to. What you win them with is what you win them to. He wanted students to come on Wednesdays to learn about Jesus first and foremost. And playing games was a fun secondary thing if there was time. He had found out that if he had got these students to come to play the games, then the rest of the night, whatever he had planned, they didn't care about because the thing they came for was already done. So you might have seen me talk about this book before. Uh, It's Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. Um, This is a book I usually hand out to graduating seniors because it's a great example of what it looks like to have um, a practicing faith where we aren't just fans sitting on a sideline, um, but we are people who participate in what Christ has called us to do. And so the first time I was reading through this book, a particular line stood out to me. What you win them with is what you win them to. There it is again. And so what Kyle is talking about in this section of the book, it was of a time when he was younger and kind of just starting out in ministry, and he went off to plant a church. And he thought that a successful church was a full church. So he set off to get people through the doors by using clever marketing. But what he learned eventually was what you win them with is what you win them to. And so just as I said, it can be tempting to use gimmicks to get people into the church. And so as I read through this section of the book, I realized that it's not just pastors and leaders and churches who do this, but lots of Christians might pick and choose what they share with people in hopes of getting them to come to church. And I understand this. It's an understandable thing. There are some things in the Bible that can seem intense for someone who doesn't know much about it. One example of this is the cost of discipleship in the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, if you follow me, be prepared at the possibility of losing your own life. That's intense. But as, and as long as the church has been around, there have been things that people outside the church don't quite understand. In the times of the early church, there were people who thought Christians were cannibals. True story. They thought we were cannibals. Can you imagine where they got that idea from? We just participated in it, right? Communion. We participate in the bread representing Christ's body and the juice representing his blood. People heard that and they thought that Christians were cannibals. We are not. Um, But at that point in time, if you were worried about, you know, getting people to come to church, you might be like, well, I'm just going to leave that part out for now. They can discover that later. But as Christians, we are called to go out into all the world and share the good news that is the life and ministry of Christ Jesus. And rightfully so, rightfully so, one of the things we share the most out of this is the message of free gift of grace. It's one of the most wonderful things that we can have in our life. And what gets people's attention more than using the word free? The issue, though, is at times, as much as we like to talk about the free gift of grace, sometimes we then leave out what it means to fully be a committed follower of Jesus. And often we make it sound like it's a passive commitment when in reality it's more of an active one. So this morning I want to walk through that passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship because it gives us a picture of why it's an active commitment and not a passive one. So if you would, you can turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. 
Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It is followed by the book of Mark. So starting in verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what I want to do is I want to take that first sentence, just that first sentence in verse 24, and break down all that Jesus is implying, because Jesus has packed this one sentence full of ton of stuff. So let me start by reading it again in, in a little bit different of a translation that I think better emphasizes what Jesus is saying here. So this is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So that first phrase there, if anyone wants, in the beginning of the sentence tells us that coming after Jesus is a choice. The things we see later in the sentence are commands that we must do, but it begins when we make the choice to follow Jesus. This isn't something that we can decide for other people. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Nacho Libre, um, I enjoy it, Jack Black film. Um, at one point, Nacho, the main character, is concerned because uh, his wrestling partner hasn't been baptized. So he sneaks up behind him with a bowl of water and places it in front of his face and goes, wah, and, and, and baptizes him. You know, sometimes I feel like we wish we could do that for people. You're like, no, you need to love Jesus. Just come here. Just come here. Let me do it. You know, like, no, we can't. We can't because following Jesus has to be their choice. Something else we learned in this first phrase is, is from that second word, it says that if anyone... And so what that means is Jesus is not just referring to his current disciples. He's not just speaking to the 12 guys standing there and saying, this is your specific cost of discipleship. What he's saying is, if anyone wants to come after me, then the following applies to them. And so it's a choice that if we choose, then these are commands that we must follow. So the next phrase um, part of that first verse, if anyone wants to follow after me, it's pretty straightforward. The, uh, the concept of following is to go where the thing in front of you goes. I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but I am a terrible person to have to follow while driving. My wife can attest to this. I am terrible. For some reason, I can't get it through my head to like signal way beforehand, like here's where we're going next. And so instead, I'm, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, we're going right here. So then I'm exiting. But for them, it's like, oh my gosh, he's going this way. <laughs> um, 
And so I, I, I haven't gotten used to it. And I also know what has driven Sammy nuts is anytime she has to follow me, I end up running through like five yellow lights, leaving her stuck at the red. But the classic picture of following would have to be if you've ever f played follow the leader as a kid. This is a great representation of the idea that Jesus is getting at here in this verse. In the game, your goal is to replicate what the leader did to the best of your ability. Now, obviously, you can't play follow the leader by sitting on the side of the playground and just yelling at the kid and leave and be like, oh, don't worry, I'm with you, I got you, I'm, I'm participating. Following is going where the leader went and doing what the leader did. The other part of the game is that the leader can't tell you to do something that they haven't done themselves. That's one of the rules. They can't tell you to do something they haven't done themselves. But if you are going to claim to be a follower of Jesus, that means that we go where he goes and we do what he does. The church as a whole, especially in America, is suffering greatly from people who come, they sit in the pews, claim to be Christians, but they don't live the life to match it. They're just like the kid sitting on the side of the playground going, I'm with you, Jesus. Don't worry, I'm over here, but I'm with you. And so in these next couple commands, Jesus gives us a couple clues on how we can get into the game, how we can do better at following him. And the first one is that first command. Let him deny himself. To help us better understand what Jesus means by denying ourselves, the other time this specific word is used in the New Testament is when Peter denies Jesus. You see, Jesus is taking this phrase and he's using it to show us what he has done and he's also foreshadowing for Peter what he will do to Jesus a couple chapters later. It's actually 10 chapters later in the book of Matthew. Peter will be asked not once, not twice, but three times Peter is asked if he is a follower of Jesus and three times Peter will deny him. In denying Jesus, Peter was saying that he had nothing to do with the man and that these people who were asking him had it confused for someone else. What this tells us about the passage we are in is that when we deny ourselves, we are saying that we no longer associate with who we used to be. Right? Someone asks, oh, aren't you? No, nope, that's not me. That's not who I am. And this idea of a new identity is spoken frequently of in the New Testament when someone is a follower of Jesus. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its, by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And lastly, Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Denying ourselves means we no longer identify as the person we were before Jesus came into our life. The mistakes and the regrets that held us down like a ball and chain are no longer attached to who we are. Those things were a part of a completely different person, and if we truly are a follower of Jesus, then we have turned away from those things, never to look back because of the joy at looking what's in front of us. The other part of having a new identity is that it's this one, this new one, it's not about ourselves. It's not about our desires. It's not about our benefit. It's not about us being in control, but instead it's about relinquishing all those things back to God where it belongs. Our desires are now for him and for the things that he desires. We now do the things to bring him glory and to further his kingdom, and we rest in the fact that God is in control and always has been. If we follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves and step into our new identity of serving God in our new life. And like I said, Jesus is never going to ask us to go somewhere that he hasn't gone himself. My favorite passage of scripture is one that talks about this, and I know I've talked about it here on Sundays before, but in Philippians 2, it says that Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he did what? He made himself nothing. He denied himself. He denied who he was as a part of God in all his power and glory. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus denied who he was and became a new creation. If any of us wants to follow after Jesus, we have to deny who we were and step into our new creation in him. The last part of the sentence we're looking at this morning is to take up his cross and follow me. Again, we see Jesus foreshadowing where he is going. As we know later on, uh, Jesus would have to pick up his literal cross, carry it up the hill to a place called Golgotha where he would be killed. Jesus is telling his current disciples and anyone else who decides to come after him that the decision to come after him could lead them to persecution and possibly even death. In fact, most of the original 12 of his disciples were killed for their faith. And to this day, millions of other Christians have been persecuted. I found some statistics on this. So these statistics were taken from October of 2017 to November of 2018. So this is a one-year gap, and here were the statistics. 245 million Christians in the world faced high levels of persecution because of their faith. So what they're doing is uh, they're taking the population of Christians in these different countries where the persecution is fierce, and they're saying, you know, they're facing this. And so 245 million Christians in the world faced high levels of persecution. 4,136 of them were killed that one year. 265, 200, ah, 2,625 were imprisoned without trial, 
1,266 churches were attacked, and 11 countries scored in the extreme level for their persecution of Christians. Five years before this data was taken, there was only one country in that category. Why would people go through this? Why would people choose to go through this? It's because they understood that coming after Jesus, to follow Jesus meant choosing him over choosing their own life. The church wouldn't have survived its first 300 years of existence if people weren't willing to take up their crosses. But instead, we see that they are dedicated to the message of Jesus, and because of it, people were pierced through the heart, and with that message, their numbers were added to daily. There's a phrase um, people say often, my cross to bear, right? This is my cross to bear. This is the thing that I have to deal with. Here's the thing with that. Yes, Jesus was arrested, he was convicted, he was tortured, and he was killed. And although the story might seem like it at times, nobody forced the cross upon Jesus. It was his choice that he made for our benefit. And if we make the decision to be disciples of Jesus, then we need to take up our crosses and be willing to march, as extreme as it might sound, to what could possibly be our own deaths. So here's why this is also important this morning. In the Great Commission, Jesus did not say, go out and do whatever you can to get people to come to church. He said to go out and to make disciples to make followers of him, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. You see, a church full of people who aren't truly following Jesus is ineffective. Because what we win them with is what we win them to. If we win them with all the benefits that the church could possibly provide for them, then church becomes about them and not about God. And most will never actually become disciples of Jesus. Then, since their faith is about themselves and not about God, as soon as we start talking about things like denying ourselves and taking up our crosses, they either don't want to participate or they'll leave the church. So here's my prayer this morning. Here's my, my prayer for our church, that as you are sent out this week, you will have the courage and the knowledge to know that you don't have to make being a disciple of Christ attractive. There's nothing that you have to change to the story to get people into the doors of the church, because there is nothing more attractive than the full message of the good news that is the life and ministry of Jesus our Lord. The message that says that Jesus was willing to deny who he was, to come down to this earth and live the life of a servant so he could take up his cross and by his own accord walk to his death that brings us salvation. That the ball and chain that was our regrets and mistakes has been taken off, freeing us from its burden. And he did not do this because of any way we could earn it, but the beauty of his grace is that we did the opposite of earn it. 
that even in the midst of our deepest darkness, Jesus waded through it to pull us back into the light because of his insurmountable love for us. What he asks in return is that we follow him. To deny who we are, to become a new creation in Jesus where our identity is found in him, where our desires are for him, and where our mission brings us to others who need him. Church, this message is our past, it's our present, and it's our future. It doesn't get better than this. And if we are faithful to sharing the entirety of this message, then God will work through it to pierce people through the heart with it. And as it was in the early church, God will add to our numbers daily because of our dedication to him and his message. Will you pray with me? God, you are good. And what you have done for us is at times beyond comparison and beyond words that we can fathom. There is nothing that we need to change to it. There is nothing that we can do to make it look better because it is our new identity that you have given us. That I am not who I used to be. I do not have to associate with that person anymore because in you I am new. And what you ask of me is to follow you. To go where you went and to do what you did. Give us the courage to do that, no matter what it looks like, whether it's through persecution or death. Let us stand in the face of those things and say, I am not scared because my God is with me. This is what it means to truly be your disciple. And if our heart truly is to bring others to know that, then they need to fully understand what that commitment is. That you did not promise us an easy life. But that you promised us an eternal one with you. So let us go out faithfully to those who need you, who are still stuck in their own darkness, who are still stuck in that old identity. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.